sing this evening, church? Then one more time, he's worthy of our praise. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. How good it is to be in God's house this evening. You can go ahead and be seated as we get ready to enter into the word of the Lord this evening. It's two weeks in a row. Weather was great. I thank God for that. Back into the swing of things. Amen. The title of my message tonight is The Discipline of Darkness. It's part one and basically entitled Remembering Our Song in the Dark. How many of you know sometimes God puts us in dark places on purpose? Amen. Sometimes he turns out the light and he covers our cage not to destroy us, but to develop us. Amen. Sometimes he turns out the light not to depress us, not to discourage us. Not to get us all upset or, like I said, to destroy us, but to develop us instead. And over the next couple weeks or so, that's what I want to look at. I want to look at the discipline of darkness. I hope that you get a better understanding of exactly what that is as we go through this. It's not about God taking out his belt and disciplining us. It's about a spiritual discipline of understanding who we should be and how we should act and how we should live in the times of darkness in our life. Amen. That's not to say that when we wander away from God that he won't discipline us with darkness because that's a way to bring us back to him. Amen. But that's not exactly what I want to talk about tonight and as long as the Holy Spirit keeps me on this title. But before we go any farther, one more time, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you that you've been with us. We thank you that you woke us up. You brought us along today and you've brought us back into your house once again. We thank you for the privilege to be here. I especially thank you for the privilege, Father God, to be a mouthpiece for you this evening. And as always, God, I'm the first to confess I do not want to and cannot do this without you this evening. I need the power of your Holy Spirit. I need your wisdom. I need your strength and your anointing. I need you to touch my mind, my mouth, my body, my spirit, everything about me, God. I need you. Your people need you as well, God. They need you, Father God, to receive this word. They need you to understand this word. They need you to enlighten them to this word, God, to reveal whatever it is that you need in their life, God. And then most of all, we need you to be doers of your word and not just hearers only. So I pray tonight that you come against every hindering spirit, every distraction, every disturbance, Lord God, that your word would come forth, Father God, without any interruption. I pray that the devil would be defeated tonight and that you would be high and lifted up. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I've taken the... This week's title from Psalm chapter 77, verse 6, where the psalmist David, in the darkness of his despair, said these simple words, Let me remember my song in the night. Another version puts it this way, In the present night of my affliction, and in the darkness of my distress, I will remember my song. Because how many of you know if there's ever a time for us to remember our song... It's in the night. If there's ever a time for us to remember our song, it's when darkness descends upon our life. Amen. It's when the sun stops shining. It's when the shadows of Sheol decide to wrap themselves around us. It's when hell tries to strangle our soul. And it's when the demons of darkness just don't want to let us go. That's when we must remember our song in the night. 
And that's when we must allow the Lord to teach us to sing. But the sad reality is, that's when it seems to be the hardest to sing. Amen? It's when the lights go out. It's when things are going wrong. Things aren't going the way we hoped, or things aren't going the way that we planned. That seems to be the hardest time to sing, but it's when we need to sing the most. When the marriage is almost over, when the doctor diagnoses us with a disease, when the son ends up in prison, when the daughter comes home pregnant, when the money seems to be gone, when the cupboard is bare, when the job is lost, when the pressure is on, the joy just seems to be gone. That seems to be the hardest time to sing God's song. You see, the reality is God has a song for us to sing. Amen. It's not a song of gloom and doom. It's not a song of woe is me, but it's a song of salvation. And we're going to look at that when we go. But when we go through these times of darkness, it's when we have to sing the most. And that's why we must learn the discipline of darkness, which we'll look at this evening. I'm not sure where you are this evening. I'm not sure what troubles might be trying to overtake your life. I'm not sure the depth of darkness that might be descending in certain areas of your life, finances, marriages, family, who knows it. But I do know that this word is for us tonight. I do believe that this is the word that God would speak for us tonight. I do know that God wants us to remember our song in the night. And I know that God wants to teach us the discipline of darkness. Amen. So the question tonight is, how many of us are ready to learn? How many of us are willing to learn? Over the last few days, while seeking the Lord for a word for tonight and for a word of direction for maybe the next couple weeks or however long the Lord decides to keep me in this title, I was led to a book that I often use in my own personal devotions. Many of you might have heard of it. Many of you might have it. Many of you might have read it, but it's entitled Streams in the Desert. It's a personal devotional book, and it's based on Isaiah 35, 6, where God said, In the wilderness, waters will break out, and streams shall flow in the desert. It's certainly not a book that most modern-day preachers turn to or modern-day preachers preach from because it's very contrary today to today's modern doctrine of materialism and, and hype and everyday happiness. You see, the reality is God's not as concerned about our happiness as He is about our holiness. Amen? He's not, he's not as concerned about that we're happy, happy, happy every day. He's concerned that we're developing into the individual that He wants us to develop. Amen? And the, and the reality is sometimes He has to bring us into darkness, like I said, in order to develop us. If we went through life happy, happy, happy all the time, I don't know how strong we would be, and I don't know how mature we would be. Amen? It's not that God wants us happy, but the reality is He wants us holy. The reality is He wants us to be like His Son, Jesus Christ, and He wants to teach us how to come through these times of darkness and difficulty so that we can can become spiritual, mature Christians that have the ability to lead someone else through their dark days and lead someone else through their times of difficulty as well. Amen? It's not a book that's filled with fluff and stuff, as I might say. It's not a, it doesn't teach us about cotton candy Christianity. It teaches us to be content in whatever lot we find ourselves in, just like Scripture teaches us. Amen? It teaches us to walk through the fire. It teaches us to walk through the flame, because there will be fire and there will be flame. It teaches us that victory can be found even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Amen? 
It's a book that teaches us how to be still in the storm, to be strong in the struggle and in the midst of trouble. Because Jesus tells us in John 16:33 that in this world you will have trouble, church. I'm not here to discourage you this evening. I'm not here to disappoint you. I'm not here to throw a blanket on your spirit of joy. But Jesus tells us and prepares us to understand that in this world, there will be trouble, church. In this world, heartache will happen. Many of you have already experienced that. And if you haven't, you will. The reality is, in this world, storms will set themselves against us. Storms will rage against our marriage, rage against our finances, rage against our mind. There are storms that will rise up in our life that will seek to do nothing but destroy us. Church, in this world, Jesus was telling us that trials and tribulation will come our way. They'll try to topple us. They'll try to knock us over. They'll try to lead us away from Jesus Christ. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. But according to the same word, we can still be of good cheer. According to the same word, we can still sing our song in the night because Christ has overcome this world. Amen? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer in the midst of the darkness. Be of good cheer in the midst of the mess. Be of good cheer in the midst of the trial and the tribulation and the difficulty, because whatever you're going through, I've already overcome it. And the sad reality is, church, is just like Pastor Darrell prayed. Let's not just pray about the need. Let's thank God for what he's already done, because he's already overcome this world. He's already overcome disease. He's already overcome sickness. He's already overcome depression and sadness and sorrow and trial and tribulation and anything the devil would try to bring our way. Jesus has already overcome it. Amen. Now, we just have to start living like it. We have to start talking like it. We have to start singing like it. We have to start testifying like Jesus has already overcome all the things that have come against us. It's why we can still be of good cheer even when the lights go out. And that's what the discipline of darkness is all about. It's about remembering our song in the night, just like David did. Just like Job did. Just like Isaiah did. And I could go all through scriptures. It teaches us the discipline of darkness is about remembering our song when we are in the midst of the most difficult times we might face in our life. If you look back at Isaiah 35, verse 6, where God said, In the wilderness, waters will break out and streams shall flow in the desert. There's two things I want you to see. The first is, there will be a wilderness that you will walk through. The very first thing I want you to understand is that there is a desert that will one day come your way. There is a wilderness and a desert that you will one day find yourself in. If you've never been there, you'll find yourself there. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been there more than one time. And some of you might be in that wilderness right now. Some of you might be in that dark place right now. Some of you might be in the middle of a storm right now. You might be in the middle of darkness right now. But, but the first thing that we need to understand, according to Jesus and even Isaiah, is there will be trying times and trouble that come into our life. 
There will be fires and floods that we will have to face. There will be storms and struggles. And there will be deserts of difficulty that we will one day have to walk through, church. But even in the wilderness, even in the desert, even in the dry times that we might face, there are streams of living water that we can drink from. Amen? And it's why we can be of good cheer. I don't know what desert you're in, but there are streams of living water in the middle of that desert. There are fountains that will never run dry. And there's living water that you can drink from. And what we need to do is learn to find that in the middle of our wilderness. We need to find those rivers in the middle of our desert. You see, the reality is the devil would love for us to wither up in the wilderness. He'd love for us to dry up and die in the middle of our desert, church. But God wants you to know tonight that even in your driest place... There are rivers of living water that you can drink from. There are fountains that will never run dry. No matter how hot the devil tries to turn up the heat, no matter how hard he tries to snatch away your life, there are fountains that will never stop running. There are rivers that will never run dry. And that's what Jesus wants us to drink from. Even in our darkest hour, there is a song that God has designed for us to sing. How many of you know there's a song God's designed just for you? There's a testimony that God has designed just for you. And He wants you to tell that testimony just like we sang. And He wants you to sing that song. But He doesn't want you to just sing it in the sunshine. He wants you to sing it in the darkness. He wants you to sing it in your trial and sing it in your tribulation. He wants you to sing it in your sickness. And He wants you to sing it in your sadness and in your sorrow. It's what, what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us this evening. It's what He wants us to know. That he, he wants us to understand the discipline of darkness. And He wants us to remember our song even in the night. How many of you know Oswald Chambers? He's a Scottish Baptist and he's the holiness movement evangelist and teacher who's best known for his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. And he wrote these words... At times, God puts us through the discipline of darkness in order to teach us to heed Him. In other words, sometimes God turns out the lights in order to teach us to listen. You see, the reality is sometimes God will turn out the lights just to get your attention. Sometimes He'll turn out the lights just so we can hear His voice. Sometimes He'll seclude us, church, in, a, in, a, in seemingly a, an isolated island of darkness. But He has us there for a reason. And it's to teach us the discipline of darkness. It's to teach us the songs of salvation. It's so that we can learn to hear His voice, church. This is what we have to understand. Listen, I know it may be strange to many of you, but darkness is a discipline that each and every one of us have to learn. Because it's in the darkness where we learn to trust Him. It's in the darkness, church, where we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. It's in the darkness where we learn to listen to His still, small voice. It's in the darkness where we tend to draw close and draw near. Amen? It's in the darkness where God develops our song. It's where He teaches us to sing spiritual songs, church. Please understand, the individual that doesn't have a spiritual song in their life, the individual that doesn't have a testimony to tell, has never learned the discipline of darkness. 
The individual that doesn't know how to sing songs of salvation, doesn't know how to sing spiritual songs, doesn't know how to sing hymns, doesn't know how to sing anything spiritual, church. Doesn't understand the discipline of darkness because it's through that discipline of darkness that God develops the song that I'm talking about. It's through the discipline of darkness that God is able to cultivate a song that He has designed for you to sing because no one else can sing it except you. The reality is, church, songbirds are taught to sing in the dark. I used to raise birds, different kinds of birds, finch and songbirds and parakeets and cockatiels and cockatoos. And one of the first things you learn in order for them to learn to sing a full song, you got to cover their cage. You got to put them in darkness. You got to seclude them now and then so they can develop a song. It's how you teach them to sing church. And Christians are the same exact way. Just like sometimes you have to put the birds in a dark place and cover their cage, Christians are just the same. Sometimes God has to put us in a dark place. Sometimes God has to isolate us. Sometimes He has to turn out the lights in order to cultivate a song in our life, church. In the full light of day, this is a fact. In the full light of day and in the hearing of much music and many voices, the caged bird will not sing the song that his master wants him to sing. He might learn a note here and a note there. He might learn a little chirp here and a little chirp there, but he will never learn a separate and entire melody. But when the master covers the cage, when the master turns out the light, when the master places the bird in an isolated place where he can only hear the song that he is intended to sing, then there in the dark he will try and try again To sing that song until it's completely learned. And I know that because when I used to raise the songbirds, and I know this after the fact because I've learned it, is that you'll cover the cage and one night they'll they'll chirp a few notes here and chirp a few notes there. It's never a full song. It's just a chirp, just a cheep, just a note, just another note. But the longer that you keep them there, I don't keep them all the time. You take them out and you put them back. But eventually that, that bird learns a full and a complete song while he's covered in that cage, while he's isolated and alone. He learns that full song so that when you take him out and you put him in the light, he can sing that song in the light. And it's a song that he will never forget, and it's a song that he will always sing. And there's no difference when it comes to us. You see, the reality is there's a song that God wants you to sing in the sunlight, but you'll never sing it in the sunlight until you've learned to sing it in the darkness. There's a song that God wants you to sing when the sun is bright and the sun is shining and other individuals are listening, but you'll never learn that song completely until you've learned it in the dark place, until you've learned it in the pit, until you've learned it in the, the struggle and you've learned it in the sickness and you've learned it in the hospital bed and you've learned it in the middle of your mess. And when you learn the song in the middle of your mess, then it has a greater impact when you sing it in the light. You see, you can't sing the song God wants you to sing in the sunshine, like I said, until you sing it at midnight, until you sing it in the dark places. In order for us to sing our song, sometimes God covers our cage and sometimes he turns out the light in order to give us a testimony. What does he do? He puts us through a test. 
Without the test, there's no testimony. Amen? And that's not just a play on the words, but the reality is you and I have no grand story to tell about how great God is until He brings us through a difficult time. Amen? And the same thing goes for this song that I'm thinking about. In order to take us to the palace and give us a great testimony, sometimes He has to put us in the pit like we learned last week. Amen? And by the way, I want to apologize for last week because I kept saying Joshua instead of Joseph when I was talking about the pit. Some of you may have caught that and some of you may not. But my wife caught it and made sure I, she pointed it out. Because I'm always messing up names. But Joseph was the one that was thrown in the pit and he learned to climb out. And he learned his song. Amen? And it brought him all the way to the palace, church. And, but the reality is, and the point that I want to make, is that sometimes God puts us in dark places in order to bring forth the song. Sometimes He brings us into the wilderness, and sometimes He takes us into the desert where there's no other voices but His in order to develop our song of salvation. You see, the world is so full of noises. The world is so full of its own songs. And I'm not just talking secular songs that you listen to the radio. But the devil has a song that he sings in your ear all the time. This world has a song. It has a tune. It has a song that it sings in your ear all the time. And sometimes God has to isolate us. So that the only song we can hear is the one that He intends for us to sing. Sometimes He has to take us to that lonely uh, place of solitude where we can hear His voice, where He can begin to cultivate the, the songs of salvation, church, in our lives. The song that He intends for us to sing. And that's what this, this message and the discipline of darkness is all about. It's developing that song that might be sung in the night so we can sing it in the sunshine as well. The truth is, God has a song to teach each and every one of us, and only when we have learned it in the darkness can we sing it in the sunshine for everyone to hear. Only when we've learned to sing it in the darkness of life's shadows, or in the darkness of life's disappointments, or in the darkness of life's afflictions, can we then sing it in the sunshine for everyone else to hear. Unfortunately, the sad reality is far too many Christians can't sing in the sunshine because they've never learned to sing in the dark. Far too many individuals come into the house of God and they can't drum up a song, can't pull up a song, can't do any kind of singing or rejoicing because they've never learned to sing in the dark. They don't have a morning song because they don't have a midnight song. And the reality is each and every one of us should have a midnight song that begins to well up when we find ourselves in times of trial and tribulation and times of difficulty. I don't know about you, but when I find myself in certain situations, there are certain songs that come up in my heart. There are certain words of, uh, of the gospel that begin to well up inside the, the soil of my soul because I use it to combat the darkness, church. And if you can't, if you don't have that... God's going to keep taking you back to that, that darkness until that song is developed in your life. One of the quickest ways to get out of a deep, dark situation is start singing that song of salvation. It's to start quoting the Word of God. It's to begin releasing the light of the Lord into the darkness of that situation. When you find yourself in a trial and a tribulation and a pit, the last thing you can afford to do is sing some sad melody. You've got to start singing a song of salvation. You know what that means? It's a song of victory. It's a song of praise. It's a song of thanksgiving. That's the quickest way to get out of your pit. Quickest way to get out of your darkness. 
And even if you're in the pit, it's the quickest way to change the environment. You know, you can be in darkness and it still be filled with joy. You can be in a pit and it still be filled with joy. But every time we release a grumble, guess what surrounds us? Every time we grumble and complain in the midst of our darkness, you think that's bringing light to your situation? It's bringing more darkness. It's releasing another demon here and releasing another devil there. Please understand, grumbling and complaining doesn't come from Jesus Christ. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the demons of darkness that want to defeat you in your area of darkness. All the woe is me doesn't do anything to set you free. You got to start singing some songs of salvation in your life. That's the quickest way to get out of it, church. Please understand, there's far too many individuals that have not learned the discipline of darkness, so they grumble and they complain. When we should be singing sweet songs of salvation, we sing dark dirges instead because we haven't learned our midnight song or the discipline of darkness in our lives. Remember, when Paul and Silas were thrown into the darkness of a dungeon cell in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it says, at about midnight... They were praying and singing hymns to God. At about midnight, they were praying and singing spiritual songs to God. Imagine where they were. They were just beaten and flogged, battered and bruised. They were thrown into a deep, dark dungeon cell. They weren't crying the blues. They weren't singing dark dirges. They weren't singing sad melodies that made all the other prisoners cry. The Bible says they were singing their midnight song and the other prisoners were listening to them, the Bible says. They were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. And I hope you understand what is being said here. Someone's always listening. You see, the reality is there's other people in prison as well. And if you begin to let that song of salvation well up in your soul, if you begin to understand the discipline of darkness, if you, in the midst of your darkness, allow God to cultivate a song in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your, 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 your difficulty, in the midst of your sadness or sorrow, it will have a positive impact on everyone else that's listening. They were singing hymns to God, church. They were singing their midnight song in the depths of a prison cell, in the center of uncertainty, under the cover of complete darkness. They remembered their song. You see, it wasn't the first time they found themselves in a trying situation. It wasn't the first time they found themselves in some form of darkness. But in the middle of this darkness, there wasn't a lamp around, a light around, a candle around. They couldn't see as far as their hand in front of their face. They were in the depths of a deep, dark dungeon cell. And there in the dungeon, they remembered their song. And they began to sing it. They remembered the word. And they began to read it. They remembered the prayers that they had prayed before and how God had delivered them from the hand of the enemy and from the dungeons of darkness before. They remembered their song. And they began to sing it, the Bible says. And something miraculous happened. The prison bars began to shake and the earth began to tremble, church. And the prison doors were open, not just theirs, everyone's. Because they remembered their song in the night. 
And see, the sad reality is, it's like I just said earlier, if you're in a prison tonight, if you're in a prison of depression, if you're in a prison of sickness, if you're in a prison of financial ruin, if you're in a prison of darkness, church, the best way to open those prison doors is to begin to sing a song of salvation. Amen. It's to begin to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's to shut the mouth of the, the deceiver and shut the mouths of depression and shut the mouths of, uh, of, of grumbling and complaining and begin to loose the songs of salvation that God has intended for us to sing. In the depths of a prison cell, they remembered their song and they sang it and others were listening. Because how many of you know someone's always listening to our song? Someone is always giving ear to the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart, church. Because from the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. And sometimes our words give away our heart, amen? We can have a big smile on our face. We can dress up all holy. We carry a big fat Bible, but sometimes our words give away what's in the soil of our soul. And what God is saying here, He's reminding us that someone is always giving ear to the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart. So the question is, what are they hearing? What are they listening to, church? Do they hear grumbling and complaining day after day and week after week? Every time you come into their presence, what do they hear? Are they hearing the the songs of salvation or do they want to run away because you depress them every time you open up your mouth? I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. I'm telling you that if you want to break free from the prison of darkness, there's a different song you got to start singing. There's a different word that has to start coming forth from your mouth, church. Do they hear grumbling and complaining? Which, listen, I know I do far too often and my wife will agree with me. Sometimes I grumble and complain when I should be singing a song. Life frustrates us sometimes. I know that. But even in the middle of those frustrations, I'm still trying to learn to sing the right song. When someone comes into your life, what do they hear? Fear and frustration? Do they hear doubt and depression? Do they hear sad melodies that make them want to cry too? Or do they hear the songs of salvation that are being developed in the dark? That's what this world needs to hear, church. Understand what song we sing in the dark will determine what song we sing when the lights go on. Say it one more time. What song we sing in the dark will determine the song we sing when the lights go on. Listen, I hope you understand that when the lights are on in this house and you see people excited about the Lord, when you see someone dance, you see someone jump, you see someone clap their hands, you see someone lift up their hands, church, when you see someone shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph, When you hear someone shout unto God with a voice of praise, church, it's because of what God did in their darkness. 
It's because of what happened in their heart when God turned out the lights and covered their cage, church. That's why you see people excited. That's why they dance and that's why they clap their hand and that's why they lift up and that's why they seem a little freaky sometimes in the house of the Lord. It's because of what God did when the lights went out in their life. It's about what God did in their heart when He covered their cage and said, come alone for just a little while. They learned a song, church, and that's why they get a little bit excited. You don't know what God did in my darkness. You don't know what God did in her darkness. But God wants to do something, church. It's in the darkness that He develops a song that has an impact in someone else's life when the lights go on. This is what God wants to do, church. Listen, it's not always about you. Oh, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you bringing me through this hard time in this darkness? Oh! I think sometimes God wants to do this. But He doesn't. In His graciousness, He tries to teach us the discipline of darkness that says it's not always about you. It's not always about you. It's about the song I might want you to sing when you come out of your dark place so it can have an impact on someone else when you're in the light. You understand what I'm saying, church? Listen, it's the reality of what happened with Paul and Silas. It's not always about us, church. It's always about some... Most of the time, it's about someone else. Listen. The reason so many individuals, like I said, have no song when the sun is shining is because they've never learned to sing in the dark. They've never learned the song of their master. They haven't learned the discipline of darkness. Please grasp this. In the midst of David's darkness, in Psalm 118, 14 through 15, he said, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my light and my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and songs of salvation are in my tents. And the question is, what songs fill your tent? The question is, when you find yourself in a dark place, what sounds are coming forth? What sounds do the people hear? You know, there's a difference between a moan and a shout of praise. The big difference between a groan and a grumble. And a song of salvation. So the question that the Holy Spirit is asking us tonight is what sounds are filling your tent? What sounds are filling your heart? What songs are coming forth from your tabernacle? Listen, we are the tabernacle. We are the the dwelling place of God, church. And there should be a special song that's coming out of us if we're filled with that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. What's the Bible say? It'll quicken my mortal body. And if your body's been quickened by that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, there shouldn't be a grumble and a whimpering and a whining. There should be a hallelujah. There should be a praise the Lord. There should be a thank you, Jesus. There should be a magnify your name. In all the earth. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us, church. The truth is, 
Every long night that the Lord allows us to experience in life is, to, is there to produce a song in our life. It might be a song of hope. It might be a song of faith. It might be a song of love. It might be a song of joy. It might be a song of victory. But every long night that He allows us to experience in life is meant to produce a song. Not a whimper, not a whine. It's not to destroy us, it's to develop us, church. It's meant to produce a song of salvation that others can hear. And when we're in the dark, if we'll just listen to God, like I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego listen to God, like Daniel listened to God in the midst of their darkness, like Paul and Silas listened to God in the midst of their darkness, like Job listened to God in the midst of his darkness. If we would just listen to God, we would learn the song that He wants us to sing. And before you know it, you're driving down the road. And what's that melody? What's that thing just keep... What's that song that just... I can't get it out of my mind. I can't get it off my lips. I, I can't get it out of my heart. I sing it all the time. This is what we've got to do. Listen, the first day you got saved, if you really got saved, and I mean this with all my heart, if you really got saved, you really should have a song. If you don't have a song, I don't know if you're saved. I don't know if you've seen God, but because I know that when God shows up in your life, He touches your life and changes your life. There was a song that was developed in that moment. And what the devil does is he comes and he wants to take away that song. He wants to throw a wet blanket on it. He wants to keep you from singing it. He'll do whatever he can to keep you from singing that song. But that's where this discipline of darkness comes into our life. We learn in the midst of darkness to keep singing the song, to keep singing His praise, to keep trusting in His name, to understand that He's right there with us, that He'll never leave us and forsake us, church. He might feel like He's a million miles away, but the discipline of darkness teaches us to understand that He's there. When we go through the fire, when we go through the flood, we will not be drowned. We will not be burned. Because what did he say? I will be with you. It's what the discipline of darkness teaches us, church. Please understand how God operates. Paul and Silas were covered in darkness. So that when the lights came on, the jailer could get saved. Read it yourself. It's in Acts chapter 16, verse 29. Read the whole thing. If you know the story, you find out that the jailer got saved, along with him and his entire household. But read verse, verse 29 especially, because verse 29 tells us that that whole dungeon was pitch black. There wasn't a candle flickering, like I said. There wasn't a light bulb. There wasn't a flashlight. There was no box of matches. There was no oil lamp. That was flickering, casting, and it was pitch black. Because the Bible tells me in verse 29 that the jailer had to call for the lights. He couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't take one step toward Paul and Silas. He didn't know what was going on. The ground began to tremble. He heard this shaking. He felt this shaking. He didn't know what happened. He couldn't even see one foot in front of his face. And he called for the lights. And when the lights came on, guess what was there? 
Paul, Silas, the ones who sang the song in the darkness, the ones who remembered their song in the night. And the Bible says the first thing that jailer said was, what shall I do to be saved? How can I be saved? You see, that's what I went. That's what I want to go back to. It's not always about you. It wasn't about Paul and Silas in the prison cell. It was about the jailer in the household that needed to get saved. Paul and Silas were already saved. Paul and Silas were already washed in the blood. Paul and Silas already had their song. But there was another man that needed to learn his song. There was another man that needed to come out of darkness into God's uh, holy light, church. It's not always about us. It's about the jailer and his household that needs to be saved. It's about the other individuals who are in prison cells as well. And until we learn to sing the song in the dark, it'll have no impact in the light. You can talk about Jesus till you're blue in the face when the lights are on. You can talk about Jesus all you want in the sunlight of the day, in the sunlight of your sunny situations. When everything's going great and everything's hunky-dory and everything's fine. When, you're, when your life is filled with glitter and everything perfect. But when the lights go out and darkness descends... When you get the bad report and your world is turned upside down, the world is listening for the song that you're going to sing. And if it's not the same song you sing in the sunlight, it will have no impact on their life. None whatsoever. Oh, but we come into the house of God and oh, great that we do that. But they don't give a flip about what you're doing up here. What they care about is if the same God could give you a song in the middle of your hell, He can give them a song in the middle of their hell. Just like God gave you a dance, hallelujah, in the middle of your darkness, He can give them a dance in the middle of their darkness. Just like He gave you hope in the middle of your hell, He can give them hope in the middle of their hell. That's what the discipline of darkness is all about. That's what remembering our song in the night is all about, church. It's about the jailer and the household that he has. We have to understand that the song we sing in the dark has the power to change others' lives when the lights come on. The song we sing in the dark, I'm going to call for the music, has the power to change others' lives when the lights go on. I don't know if that jailer would have ever been saved if Paul and Silas never went into the dungeon. I don't know if the jailer in his household would have ever been saved. And you can re- if you read and study the Bible, salvation didn't just stop at the jailer's house. It spread all over. You see, the reality is, church, this is what I want you to understand that unless God covered Paul and Silas's cage, unless He turned out the lights, unless they understood the discipline of darkness, the kingdom wouldn't have advanced into the lives that we've talked about, that you can read about here. This is really just what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. There is a world that is lost in darkness out there. 
And He's trying to develop a song in our life that will have the power to change other people's lives when we sing it out there. Amen? That's what this whole thing is about. But as I wind this down and bring this to a close, I've only got a couple minutes. But if we do have some music, play. If not, put on some music back there. Here's a story that some of you have probably already heard, probably know. When I get to the end of it, you probably will know it. But in the late 1860s, life was good for Horatio G. Spafford and his wife, Anna. They were living in a north side suburb of Chicago with their five children, Annie, Maggie, Bessie, Tanetta, and Horatio Jr., Horatio had a successful law practice in Chicago, and he was a Presbyterian church elder and a dedicated Christian. Until now, Horatio and Anna Spafford had led a charmed life. They had everything going their way. However, in 1870, their faith was tested by tragedy. The lights went out, a little loud. Their four-year-old son, Horatio Jr., died of scarlet fever, and the Spaffords were devastated. In October of 1871, when the great Chicago fire broke out, Horatio faced another test of his faith. The lights went out once again. A few months before the great Chicago fire, Spafford, being a wealthy man, had invested much of his wealth in real estate by the shore of Lake Michigan. Not only did the great Chicago fire destroy most of Chicago, but most of Spafford's holdings were destroyed as well. 250 people died in the fire, and 90,000 families were left homeless. In 1873, Anna Spafford's health began failing. And hoping to put behind the tragic loss of their son and the fire and to benefit Anna's health, the Spaffords planned a trip to Europe. The Spaffords planned to leave in November on their voyage to Europe. However, as sometimes happens, God had other plans for Horatio G. Spafford. The day they were to sail for Europe, Spafford had a business emergency and could not leave. Not wanting to disappoint his wife Anna and their daughters, he sent them on ahead and planned to follow on another ship in a few days. On November 22, 1873, the steamer Villa de Havre was struck by a British iron sailing ship, the Lockhearn. The steamer, with Anna Spafford and their four, her four daughters, sank within 12 minutes in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Only 81 of the 307 passengers and crew members survived this tragic shipwreck. Even though the Lockhearn was in danger of sinking, the unconscious Anna Spafford was picked up from floating debris by the crew of the Lockhearn. An American cargo sailing vessel, the Tri-Mountain, arrived in the, in, just in time to save the survivors of the Villa du Havre and the Lockhearn. Anna Spafford was taken to Cardiff, Wales, where she telegraphed her husband, Horatio. Anna's cable was brief and heartbreaking. Saved alone, Horatio, what shall I do? For Horatio and Anna's four daughters had drowned in the accident. As soon as he received Anna's telegram, Horatio left Chicago without delay to bring his wife home. Sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, the captain of the ship called Horatio to the bridge. He informed Horatio that a careful reckoning had been made, and I believe we are now passing the place where the Villa du Havre was wrecked. The waters were three miles deep, 
at that point in the ocean. That night alone in his cabin, Horatio G. Spafford penned the words to his famous hymn, It is well with my soul. That night in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, where the waters ran as deep as Horatio's pain, God covered his cage and taught him how to sing in the solitude of his darkness. And it was in that darkness that Horatio heard the only song that his master desired for him to sing. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Whatever my lot, he penned in the midst of his darkness, thou hast taught me, I'm going to say, to sing, because this is a sing. A song, it is well, it is well with my soul. In the midst of his darkness, Horatio G. Spafford sang a song of salvation. When God covered his cage, he still sang forth God's praise because he understood the discipline of darkness. It wasn't the first time that darkness had descended upon his life. He lost his earnings, lost all that he had before that, lost his son. And I promise you, it's in those moments that he learned the discipline of darkness. But here on this night, as he traveled over a three-mile deep ocean and couldn't in his mind do anything but picture his four daughters three miles down at the bottom of his sea, he he remembered his song in the night. And the reality is, I I don't know if the darkness that we're going through can compare to that, but whatever the darkness is, God's got a song for you. Whatever the darkness is, no matter how deep it is, as deep as it was for Horatio G. Spafford, God has a song for you to sing. And the only way that you and I are going to be able to sing that song is if we learn the discipline of darkness. Amen? So how many of you want to sing a song of salvation when the lights go out? Not just when they're on, when the lights go out. How many of you want to learn how to sing when God decides to cover our cage? If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. And here's how we're going to end tonight.